Hello, and welcome to No Time for Caution, a podcast about Interstellar. I'm your host, Andy. I am the curator of QuantifiableConnection.com. I'm an interstellar addict, a Matthew McConaughey convert, and assuming I clear out my checking account, potentially a future Lincoln owner. Thanks so much for... You know what? We don't have time for the rest of the intro, because this is an emergency podcast. All right, let me tell you what's going on, folks. I was I was at the gym uh, pumping iron, getting ripped for, uh, you know, my pending nuptials, getting married in a few months, and... My cousin Eric, who you may remember from uh, episode four of the podcast, I think, we recorded right after his uh, first viewing, he sends me a text message. And uh, let me refer to it, because I want to make sure I get this right. Andy! And he sends me a link to wegotthiscovered.com, which... I like to think of as the new gray lady, the spiritual successor to the New York Times, all the news that's fit to print at wegotthiscovered.com. The headline, Interstellar Sequel Reportedly in Development. I I think I just had a stroke and a climax simultaneously. I don't know what to make of this news, I don't know, up from down. Here to help me make sense of it is, if you can believe it, my fiance, Emily. Emily, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, let's... All right, well, first, you know, before we even get into the article, uh, how would you describe my demeanor when I came home with this news? I thought you had gotten in an accident or something bad had happened because you just started screaming my name and... Yeah. Well, I mean, in a sense, something bad happened and something good happened. It's a real bittersweet pill, this news. I I mean, boy, let's not be selfish, Andy. I mean, how are you dealing with the news that an interstellar sequel is in development? Honestly, I'm still processing it myself. Yeah, no, I understand. It's uh, it's hard. Now, uh, we watched Interstellar on our second date, I believe. What was your take on the movie at the time? I really liked it, but I think I liked it even more because I knew how much you liked it. Would you say that, like, the specter of Interstellar has been looming over our lives throughout our entire courtship? Absolutely. (laughs) And would you call that uh, a positive, a negative? Uh, Is that a reservation about, you know, marrying me? Uh, Let's get into details. And you can speak freely. There's probably only about 800 people listening. No, I think because... It means so much to you. It's not something that I view as like a negative. I I think it's definitely brought a lot of life to our relationship, whether it's watching it multiple, multiple times or even just the reference of it throughout our daily life. I mean, our dog's name is Murph, so. We do have a dog named Murph. Yeah, I adopted... Or I was fostering a beagle. I think I started fostering her like 
three days before we started talking on one of those uh, apps, um, ourtime.com in our case. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I was adapting this, be- or fostering this beagle and uh, kind of giving you the play-by-play. It was some tough time. She's peeing on the rug, all kinds of stuff. And I was racking my brain trying to come up with a name for this dog. And I went through some other science fiction properties. I briefly entertained Odo after the shapeshifter from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But all of these names were sort of like vapid. I realized they didn't have any meaning. And then all of a sudden, it occurred to me. Murph. It's perfect. One, because... Murph is effectively my daughter. She ages at three times the rate I do. And so I named her Murph. At first, when I shared that with you, you hadn't seen the film, and so you were sort of disgusted with me. I wasn't disgusted. I just felt like it wasn't a girl dog's name. For the uninitiated, uh, Emily is extremely polite, and so that's her polite way of saying she was disgusted. (laughs) (laughs) You have to read between the lines. Oh, is that right? Yeah, well, and with all of this time together in quarantine, there's nothing but uh, lines and the spaces between them. You've gone through many travails with me. You know my deepest, darkest secrets, 75% of which are about Interstellar, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, But okay, that's a little background on Emily and I. We have this dog named Murph, but this is an emergency podcast. Let's get down to business. WeGotThisCovered.com. And I quote, According to our intel, which comes from the same sources that told us National Treasure 3, Now You See Me 3, and Scream 5 were in the works. Three sequels that, quite frankly, uh, the world has been screaming for, just shouting every night in their sleep. When is Now You See Me 3 coming out? So a lot of prayers have been answered all over the world uh, with that news. We're in the works. Well before any of them were announced, A sequel to Christopher Nolan's Interstellar is reportedly in the early stages of development. Let's just, let's stop there for a second. Did you ever think that that was possible? I actually did think that it was possible. I feel like a lot of these movies do have sequels, and especially if they did well at the box office, they want to continue with it. Yeah, I guess these days a sequel is considered a safe bet. I never entertained the idea that it was possible just because Christopher Nolan is such a film purist and he made, to me, what is his crowning achievement, his masterpiece, and so I never thought that he would touch that again. However, something I did not keep in mind, which is kind of what you're getting at, is He doesn't own the rights to this. The studio owns the rights to it, so they can do whatever they want. So if we keep reading, uh, WB wants the filmmaker to return behind the camera or, at the very least, have a hand in writing the script. Now, I can't fathom them making an interstellar movie without Christopher Nolan. Stylistically, 
it all comes from his sort of childhood passions, 2001, a space odyssey, that old school way of filmmaking where it's all practical effects. I can't imagine another filmmaker with a different visual style coming in and doing a bunch of CGI. So I I don't see how you can do it without him returning as the director. Well, if he wasn't the director, who do you think they would enlist to do it? Well, I'll tell you one guy who I could see, and it's the one thing that gives me a glimmer of hope about this. I could see uh, Denis Villeneuve. You may know his work from Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. He did a movie called Prisoners, and then he did Blade Runner 2049. You haven't seen the Blade Runner films, have you? No. The thing that gives me hope is that I did not think a sequel to Blade Runner was necessary. I thought that was an epic movie that has stood the test of time, and I thought they were just going to ruin it. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. (laughs) Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain. Blade Runner 2049 might have been better than the original. I thought it was absolutely a masterpiece. Harrison Ford slipped right back into the part. Ryan Gosling was excellent. And in a lot of ways, I felt that it was thematically richer and much deeper than the original Blade Runner. Uh, In the period between when the first Blade Runner came out and when the sequel came out, all of the speculation for the next 30 years was about whether Harrison Ford's character, Deckard, was a replicant. That was the question that people were waiting to answer, and... Gosh, I really don't want them to answer that because the ambiguity is part of what makes this so special. So there were a lot of people, including me, who were really worried about that sequel and didn't want to see it. But thank goodness they made it because uh, it ended up being an excellent movie. So the best case scenario here is that the same thing happens with Interstellar. Now... How do you think they'll have a twist? Well, I don't know. It says, The plot is said to pick up right where the first movie left off, with Matthew McConaughey's coupe heading back into the unknown to rejoin Anne Hathaway's brand on the distant but habitable planet she ended up stranded on. Obviously, that's the only place you can go with it. That's where the movie ends, with him going to Edmund's planet, where we see that she's started to set up the colony. We don't know if she's incubated any of the embryos. All we see is she's kind of has her base camp set up. We see that the air is breathable because she takes her mask off. And we see that because of the time dilation, Edmund's, her former lover, has been 
dead for probably 50 years or so. If we take things at face value, Cooper is going to get to Edmund's planet. He's going to find Brand, has started the colony there, and he's obviously going to be able to share the news with her that Earth ended up being saved, that they have these space stations in orbit. And at that point, what is Brand's purpose in maintaining the colony? Do you even go ahead with the colony? What are the ethics of starting this colony with these embryos when it's not necessary for our survival? I don't know. Hmm. That's a good point. I'm curious whether or not they'll have, is it confirmed that uh, McConaughey and Hathaway are for sure going to be in the sequel? From the way this reads, I think if there is a sequel, they'll be in it. I think you can't do a sequel without them. They're they're essentially the only two surviving characters at the end of that movie from the original cast, in addition to Tars and Case, because Murph is dead, Donald is long dead, Tom, we presume, is dead, Romley's dead, everybody's dead except... Cooper and Brand, so I imagine it would have to focus on them. I feel like their dynamic together, they meshed very well, and a lot of people had speculated that there was going to be a romance Mm. between them, so I would be curious if they did cast different actors, uh, how that would affect the movie. I think if you cast different actors to play those characters, there would just be a revolt. And I would lead it with my pitchfork. Warner Brothers! Yeah, no, that would be awful. And at that point, you might as well just make another movie about a human colony because there's no reason it needs to be interstellar if it's not Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Yeah, I do suspect there would be some sort of romantic plot between them. I don't necessarily want to see that come to fruition. I definitely believed that by the end of the movie, there was a romantic bond between them. But what I really appreciated about Interstellar was that it was not really concerned with that bond. It was there under the surface making Brand and Cooper richer characters. It was a thread you could pull on and look into a little more, but they were laser-focused on the relationship between Cooper and his daughter, which was definitely to the film's benefit. Now, could you repeat that dynamic, except instead of the love between a parent and a child, the second movie becomes about the romantic love between two partners. And how would you explore that? Because one of the things people loved about the first movie so much is how trippy it is. The Tesseract's like stepping outside of normal space-time and the spirituality of that. I think is the core of Interstellar. It's what makes the movie work so well. And how do you replicate that in the sequel without it feeling like a contrivance? Hmm. Yeah, that would be very difficult, I think. But I do think that you would get, it would hit on a totally different audience 
that maybe is looking for kind of like the romantic movie, oh. like Hallmark. Oh, <laughs> you want you want? Oh, that's why you want them recast. You want to bring in uh, 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 Lacey Chabert to play Brand. Hey, why not? Yeah, who's playing Cooper? Oh, your favorite, Niall uh, Matter. Niall Matter. If any of you have uh, been compelled to watch Hallmark, you know that this punk with his five o'clock shadow and his, oh yeah, I play hockey, but uh, I have a knee injury, so I'm going to hang out at this used bookstore for a while. Oh, it's going out of business? Let me use my celebrity to... He is. Don't let him fool you. He loves Hallmark. Yeah, I love Hallmark in their 24-7 Christmas. Yeah, unbelievable. No, we're not turning Interstellar 2 into Hallmark, Emily. Uh, I mean, that would certainly be a different audience, I guess, if you cranked the romance up to level 15. I really hope they don't go that route. I, I'm fine with there being a romance in an Interstellar sequel, but I don't want it to be the core of it if you're not going to try to do something spiritual and transcendent with the idea of a romantic bond on the same level as they explored the father-daughter dynamic. I guess basically what I'm saying is Interstellar 2 can't be a plot-driven movie if it wants to succeed. At its core, it has to be about deep human emotions and the spirituality of love. If you make it a movie that's plot-driven, where they're trying to set up this colony, and oh, there's some sort of alien creature on the planet that looks like Cerberus that's trying to kill them, and... I just don't think it's going to work if you take it in that direction. And I worry that without Christopher Nolan and without Jonathan Nolan, maybe that's what Warner Brothers is going to see it as. There are so many sequels that lose the spirit of the original. And I think without Christopher Nolan, that's probably what would happen. I feel like the music was also a key thing with the original that people felt more strongly because the the music itself drew on your emotions. It was very powerful. and Yeah, absolutely. And I may have told this story on the podcast before, but the genesis of the score was that Christopher Nolan contacted Hans Zimmer. He sent him a scene from the movie that had no context for what it was about. It was just a tender father-daughter scene. And he asked Hans Zimmer to spend a day writing music based on that scene. And the Interstellar score, for that reason, is deeply personal, essentially human, You have a lot of wind instruments that almost simulate breathing. Uh, You have the ticking clock in the background of a lot of things. And obviously that um, is relevant to the plot because, you know, the time changes when they're near the black hole. But it's also just indicative of the fact that 
we are all perpetually on the clock. The seconds are ticking away. And Interstellar, with its science fiction-based plot, one of the things that it does is show us how incredibly precious those seconds are. To a certain extent, I think uh, you could almost see the passage of time in Interstellar as an allegory for the way we take things for granted. It's so easy to wake up and it's seven years later and you're wondering where that time has gone and and you become very conscious of how things are changing in your life and you think to yourself, God, I never stop to appreciate things enough. Wow. Can you guys see why I fell in love with him? He's such a deep thinker. Uh, I I really pulled the wool over this one's eyes, if she thinks that. But yeah, I know you're totally right. The score is a really key part of this. I think maybe that's the takeaway. This is only going to work if you have Hans Zimmer back, you have Christopher Nolan back, you have Jonathan Nolan back, you have Matthew McConaughey back, you have Anne Hathaway back, you have the cinematographer back, you have... Uh, Kip Thorne, the scientific advisor who actually kind of came up with the initial concept of Interstellar. I don't think any of this is going to work if w- if uh, Warner Brothers just hires another creative team. I think it's doomed to failure if they do that. Now, will you still go see it, though? Oh, yes, of course. Um, I will... By 17 consecutive nights of tickets before it goes out. And quite frankly, even if it's horrible, I'll still go to the next 16 nights of showings. Um, yeah, I'm really of two minds on this. It's a, there's a real duality here. I am dying for them to make a sequel to Interstellar. And I hope they never, ever make a sequel to Interstellar. Because it's perfect. I feel like the first movie is the most satisfying, complete cinematic experience I've ever had, and maybe the most satisfying and complete story experience I've ever had, with the possible exception of John Steinbeck's East of Eden. I feel like it says everything that it needs to say. Now, maybe it can pull a Blade Runner 2049 and... There's things to say that I didn't even know need to be said. And so because of that possibility, I would be really excited to go see it. But I'm terrified of something tarnishing that original experience of the first movie. Because, as you know, it's deeply, deeply, deeply important to me. Like, after my relationships to family and friends and, you know, dogs, the snowy owl, various other living beings. Nothing means more to me in my life than Interstellar. And so I want to jealously guard its integrity. And that makes me want to say, please do not make this movie. However, as someone who constantly wishes that he could experience it again for the first time. The idea that I could experience 
another chapter of the interstellar story for the first time in my life is deeply exciting. Now, if it ends up not being what you expected, will that change or impact how you view or feel about the original in any way, do you think? It really depends. I think a good comparison point may be The Last Jedi, the Star Wars sequels. Ryan Johnson, the director, likes to talk about how he subverted the fans' expectations by making like Luke Skywalker a hermit, basically just casting the characters in a light that the fans did not want to see them in. I said to Ryan, I said, Jedis don't give up. I mean, even if he had a problem, he would uh, maybe take a year to try and regroup. But if he made a mistake, he would try and right that wrong. So right there, we had a fundamental difference. But it's not my story anymore. It's somebody else's story. And Ryan needed me to be a certain way to make the ending effective. That's the crux of my problem. Luke would never say that. I'm sorry. Well, in this version, see, I'm talking about this, the George Lucas Star Wars. This is the next generation of Star Wars. So I almost had to think of Luke as another character. Uh, maybe he's Jake Skywalker. He's not my Luke Skywalker. I have been able to hold on to my experience of the first six movies, the prequels and the original trilogy, which I both really like, by just telling myself, you know what, like that, that just didn't even happen. That's an alternate universe. That's someone's bad fan fiction. I'm not worried about it. But that's a lot easier to do when you have 30 years between them and it's a different creative team. I think if they reunited the team from the first Interstellar and they made a movie that, to me, denigrated the first one, that cheapened it, yeah, I think it really would tarnish my experience of the first movie. Is there anything that they could do to the movie that you would say, absolutely not, I'm not going to go see this movie now? That is a really great question, because I did have that experience recently. I think on the last podcast with Narwhal. What do you think about Narwhal, by the way? I like Narwhal. I like Narwhal, too. He is really fun to talk to. Uh, We talked about a game called The Last of Us. And they just came out with a sequel for that. Uh, The first Last of Us, kind of similar to Interstellar, I guess, is at its core about a father-daughter dynamic that develops over the course of the story. And in the sequel, it leaked that the man from that father-daughter relationship, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't played The Last of Us 2 and wants to, um... He gets beat to death with a golf club like an hour into the game. And so as soon as I heard that, I thought, no, I have no desire to play this. Because without that, it's just another zombie game. And and I was just very bitter that they kind of spit in the fan's face in that way. I think a lot of fans thought that the character Joel would die over the course of the game. But to have him killed casually by a character an hour into the game was really troubling. Mm-hmm. So if I suddenly found out that Cooper was going to die half an hour into the movie and that another male lead was going to come in, I think, yeah, check, please. I'm not uh, interested in that. Mm-hmm.
Uh, finishing up the article here. Interstellar made a shade under $700 million at the box office, so you can understand why the studio are keen on the idea, but it remains to be seen if there's much interest from uh, this from either audiences or Nolan himself, especially when it holds... Oh, I'm about to go off, Emily. Especially when it holds the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score in his entire filmography. Oh, well, Rotten Tomatoes has spoken. That's very surprising to me. I never knew that. Yeah. Is, is that actually true? Yeah, well, I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is pure garbage now and uh, film industry cronyism. It's a kind of like incestuous world where... The top critics now are people who basically give good reviews in exchange for access to big studios. So like Disney movies are always going to get like a 98% because people want their tickets to the Disney premiere or they want exclusive interviews or whatever. Still, WB are reportedly hot on the idea and hopefully it'll end up materializing at some point. Now, uh, there are some emoji reactions to this article. 18 votes, 50% happy, 6% amused, 39% excited, and 6% angry. Comments. Somehow, I think Nolan Bailman movie is actually more likely. Okay, another Batman movie. Uh, yeah, no, there's... No way Christopher Nolan's going to do another Batman movie. I think Interstellar is much more likely than that. I mean, Batman, it was a trilogy and it ended with Batman retiring. I don't think there's any more story to tell here. Interstellar objectively has more story to tell. It's just a matter of whether that story is better off being told on the screen or in each individual viewer's own mind. In a way, Interstellar never ends if there's no sequel, but it does end if there is a sequel. And I would rather Interstellar remain the canvas of limitless possibility that it has been ever since I saw it in 2014. So you obviously have mixed feelings about this second movie. Would you say what would be the percentage of whether you are happy or kind of angry like those six people? I Or is it kind of split? Like you aren't leaning one way or the other? Well, I think I'm split. 50% of me is Case from the first part of the movie. Safety first, Cooper. Be careful. No, don't do that. And the other half of me is Case from the docking scene saying, Cooper, this is no time for caution. Make the movie. Yeah, so I, I, I don't really know. I'm really torn. Uh, what do you guys think? Go to quantifiableconnection.com. Uh, leave a comment on the podcast and, and let me know what you think. I'm interested in opening up a conversation on this. Whether or not I think they should make it, I will be here to provide coverage from start to finish on the process. Now that I know this is floating around out there, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I will get back to you guys with news uh, as it becomes available. 
or I'll be back on to debunk it if it turns out that this project doesn't have any legs. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this emergency podcast. Uh, Emily, thanks so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Uh, I know these podcasts have been really sporadic through the years, but uh, they really are a joy. And for the emails and comments I've gotten, uh, I deeply appreciate them. Because when I started this podcast and quantifiableconnection.com, I set out with one goal, to evangelize my love of interstellar and connect with other people who were deeply moved by it. And I think I've thankfully been able to accomplish that. So, uh, thanks so much to all of you. I hope you are doing well. I hope you are safe in the midst of all of this madness. And I will see you down the road. Mm -hmm.